Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. How are things? Pretty good. Yeah? That's fine. <laughs> I can see your face. My brain is just not necessarily super equipped to deal with, oh, sorry, I going to say this, without it being like really put upon or like really whiny. But like, cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not experiencing any sort of like real like criticism, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's just that like my brain is not equipped to log on to Twitter and see like a hundred notifications from people sort of judging something I said offhandedly. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not equipped to emotionally handle that. <laughs> I still love you. Well, it's fine. I mean, it's like, it's a silly problem. It's not. I mean, I think it says more about just our current modern day communication and patterns in general, right? Like in Twitter for many reasons. Yeah. I think it's, I think I find it really challenging and I, and I don't have like many followers or no one's hateful to me, like in a real way, like in the way that people actually experience that kind of hate. And so I don't have real problems, but it is like, I wonder how people cope with this because like who, who have, you know, 30x the amount of people who follow them on Twitter or whatever. It's like, I have no real following to speak of. And yet like my brain just can't, doesn't know what to do with, with a lot of that. So I just like kind of stress out about it, I think. Yeah. No, I hear you. Sometimes I see myself mentioned in those threads and I'm like, I can't, and I'm not even talking. And I'm like, I don't really know. I'm just going to not respond. (laughs) It's hard. It's also hard to like put your thoughts out there. And so good for you for being willing to do that because of all of the things that can happen when you do that. But I don't know that I have a good solution on how to make that easier. Not be on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's actually the real answer. Um, I don't find it super constructive. I mean, what would you like to see happen? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I think the alternative is just to not say anything. And that's probably what I'd rather just do. I mean, I guess what motivates you to put stuff out there in the first place on Twitter? I don't know. Is like addiction (laughs) an answer? Yeah. Absolutely. I I need a little dopamine rush of people agreeing with me. I mean, that's a thing. I need a a hit. Seeing likes and seeing people. I don't, I don't always, what are you, what are you whispering about? Who, me? Yeah. yeah, you. My my wife was asking if I was recording because she is trying to dump dog food into a container and decided that she better not while I'm recording. Oh. <laughs> we can cut all this out. Yeah, it's fine. We can. Well, she already isn't. took off. She doesn't like me that much. <laughs> um, Actually, she likes me so much she didn't want to interrupt. Aw. Um, Sorry, I'm a little late. No, it's okay. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. No, I was in the middle of your fire. Somebody, so. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to make that stuff better because having constructive conversations is interesting and sharing different points of view in a way that is useful. But yeah, and I think I, I don't. I think that's a, you know a big part of it is is like those conversations don't feel useful to me. Like just because they don't, they're you know they lack so much nuance and it's just sort of like. And then also like I don't know. You have to you're arguing with five different people simultaneously instead of like being able just to focus on the one person and have a real discussion. And I always go back to the idea that these discussions aren't really even about coming to consensus. Right. They're about coming to understanding of each other's context and like yes. what the goals are for each other. And then it's just sort different. of respecting that. Yes. But the, the way these things get framed is like, you know, you're wrong. And it's like, well, tacitly I'm not wrong because this is just like what we do and it works. So like, seriously, I'm not wrong. No, see, I, I didn't ask any questions about what you said. I've just judged you as wrong based on my current 
knowledge of what's going on. I think that's part of the frame though. I just think that you just said a really important point, right? Which I think we forget is people think you have to come to a consensus instead of coming to an understanding. And I think that frames a lot of the conversations that happen. And that's the problem. Thinking that you all have to agree on how to do things when you can respect that someone's doing them differently and have a different point of view and not, not have to get to a point where we all agree. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think that's so much more powerful. If everybody's starting out from the place of like, why? So you do this and it works for you. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. What goals are you trying to achieve? What what problems are you trying to achieve? What's your team like? How many people mm-hmm. do you work with? You know, what, mm-hmm. what are the circumstances by which you arrived at these, at these conclusions? Because that's like fascinating. And I do kind of find it fascinating. I don't know. I think that there's a lot to be learned inside of there, especially when it comes to like all this like kind of like pseudo best practice nonsense, because none of it matters. Like none of it, no, like nobody knows. <laughs> like nope. all we know is empirically like these things kind of worked one this one time. And that's good. I mean, it's, it's like, that's, that's fine. I think it's important to understand all the other context that goes into that or else you can't really make informed decisions about any of it. Yes. That's very true. Well, I think it's similarly on, you know, Twitter or whatever, like in communication patterns on teams, right? Common understanding versus consensus as far as like people having the context to understand the nuance of where somebody's coming from. And they might not agree, but that decision might be appropriate for that particular scenario or whatever, right? But I think you're right. I think that's an interesting point that as an industry or in general, right? Like we, especially with something as like software, where so much is contextual, we tend to want to reach for, and we've talked about this before, best practices when it really is a case by case as far as what's going to work in that particular moment for that particular company. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it too is you only really know what's going to work in case by case things if you try a bunch of stuff and see that it doesn't yes. work. Like you have to gain empirical knowledge and then be able to extract that empirical knowledge from the circumstance. Yes. Like what about that circumstance made it successful? And what about the context that you were in made it successful? And what sort of universal truths can you glean from that, if any, which I actually, you know, I think it's up for debate about whether or not that's even, there are any. Don't be a bad human. So, yeah. So are all of our projects really beautiful and unique snowflakes? Like Yes. I actually think really? yes. Wait, yeah. it was very consulting. So. How do you not realize? Because uh, I run into the exact same problems at every oh, really? place that the I go. The problems are the same. Yeah. The problems are the same, but how you solve them. Yeah, and the, the people that you're fair. working with. The problem is never the problem. The no. problem is the people. Right. It's always the people. And oh. so, so that's what I'm wondering technology-wise. Is it really a beautiful and unique snowflake? I would say that, that group-wise, group dynamic-wise, yes. But, but does that mean that there are there are no universal truths or, or best practices that, that kind of apply everywhere. I mean, best practices doesn't mean only practice. So I guess that, but I think the, I I think if you're looking at technology in isolation, there probably are patterns that are more beneficial in certain scenarios than others. Right. And maybe that's what we talk about when we glean towards best practices, we can't really look at, I don't know. I don't think you can really look at technology in isolation from the people making it and then the people using it because they're actively making decisions that affect it, right? And then the people who are using it also are making decisions that are responding to it. And so it's like an ever evolving thing that is directly interacting with humans. And so I think that's one of the things that we often think about. And I think one of the things that we often make maybe too many assumptions about is like isolating the technology when it's really part of the bigger story. Right. I, I mean, when you're creating a piece of software, it's, it's a dance. It's almost like being a a boxer sometimes you're you're sitting there just defending over and over and I, and I think that that's where some of the best practices come in is they are a defense for 
for common issues. Hope too many times we try to solve a people problem with a technical mm-hmm. thing, and and so I don't think that it's going to solve everything. But but does that mean that there aren't ones that that really get at the core? And so I, I have a tendency to not want to push back too hard and say these are these are dumb <laughs> and everything is unique. No, I mean, and I don't think I think maybe we're being a little bit not that hyperbolic, but like, I don't think that either of us are saying that like, there. well, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Chris, but like, I think there are things, there are patterns, which I think we tend to call best practices that are useful, more useful in scenarios more often. But again, such a big component of building software, I think Sarah, Sarah May talks about this a bunch, is the people component. And that's going to be different in every context. And so even if you're applying these patterns, I don't know, I find even with, with clients, like, Maybe it's a similar thing that we've built before, but every project is entirely different. And how do you get it to a, how you get it to be successful is slightly different every time. And I think some of those patterns come into play to make it easier. I don't know. Chris can also speak to this, but like, but they don't solve the problem, right? I I know I agree with all of that. Kind of like thinking a lot about what you're saying. You know, is there are there these sort of universal truths like grand grand you know field theory stuff about programming? And the question I would have for you, Amos. Do you, how many best practices do you feel like are out there are geared towards teams versus geared towards yourself? That's a good question. I mean, this is an, I'm not, I know I said that in like a leading way. I actually mean this in a real way. Like how many best practices do you feel like are geared towards um, your own sort of self, like personal work versus work with your team from a software perspective? That, that, that's hard. I, <laughs> I, I want, I've, I want to say both. You know, maybe it's like to use a concrete example which is, I mean, now I'm really like, uh, now, now I'm really like contaminating the jury pool because <laughs> an example that I hate, uh, but like dry. Is dry for you or is dry for your team? Yeah, I think, I think it's for both. I think that for you, well, okay. So I think that if you have patterns in the way that you, your team is writing software, if everybody's doing these patterns, then our brains are amazing at pattern recognition and it's a lot easier for someone else on the team to jump in and work on that portion. Now, I also think that for you, it helps you in in following along and um, and can help in your growth. But do, now, does that mean that there are points where uh, you've you've taken dry too far? Yes, and 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 I think that comes just with experience and growth over time. It doesn't make dry bad that in use in certain circumstances that it fails. I don't think it makes guns bad that people use them for, for bad. No, we're, we're cutting that. We're cutting. We're, we're not. No, we're, 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 we're <laughs> wait, no. Why? I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going out with a handgun. I, I because, do because we're, 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 this, this, we're cutting this out. We, you're so scared. Uh, no, I mean, no, I mean, but okay. So like, I think the majority, there's a reason that um, every enterprise I've worked in, when they felt like they weren't doing a good job, had you know one of these like book clubs where everybody was assigned to read some stupid book like Clean Code or something like that, filled with a bunch of like rigmarole and nonsense about you know line lengths and and like how many lines should be in a function, whatever. And that's because what you actually need to make those best practices work is groupthink. Yes. Like you actually need everybody to all align, and no one should think differently in order for those best practices well, to work. And again, yes, I don't disagree with what you're saying. And I think, again, coming back to common understanding, right? Like 
a common understanding of the context that everybody can agree on what makes sense now, if, even if they don't necessarily agree with that particular pattern themselves or think that that's like, in this case, maybe that thing makes sense, right? And I think we've talked about this maybe in the episode that James was on, but as far as like guidelines, right? Best practices, I think the idea, the, I think the problematic, they become problematic when they get taken too far, right? Instead of looking at them as guidelines for which, what to apply that might work in this particular context, we're like, we have to do this, this, and this, and mm-hmm. those don't always apply. And, and right now, I think we're also looking at, in, in the examples that we've given, like line length, we're looking at these very, very, mm, I'm going to call, this, is, this might be bad, but I'm going to call it a narrow scope, a narrow-minded view of what's going on. But, but what about the broader practices? Solid, for instance. You, let's look at single responsibility principle. That is a very broad thing that warrants discussion on, on a team if you're trying to look at that. And I think that it does not necessarily cause groupthink to the same level of something like line length or method length. And again, I think those things are in place to facilitate discussion, right? To move the project towards being better. I think a lot of that becomes problematic when communication patterns on the team aren't well established, right? It comes back to people, right? Like taking dry too far or taking SRP, I don't know, not implementing it in a way that actually makes sense for the project. Or again, those best practices are in place to help people think about how to do a thing that will then make sense and make their lives easier as they're building the software, right? Because other people have found it works in more contexts. But again, all those principles can exist, but if the team doesn't have a common understanding of what they're trying to do or how they're trying to use them, like that's not going to achieve their intended effect, I think. Well, and the team's not going to perform well if everybody's got a different set of principles that they're living their lives by, Mm -hmm. right? Especially if those things seem at odds with each other, which the majority of best practices are at odds with each other. You have to like pick a handful of them and say, these are the ones that I'm going to stick with because they're at odds with a whole bunch of the other ones. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's got different flavors of this stuff. So it's really more about, I mean, it's always about number one, achieving sort of understanding on your team of like, these are the, these are the things that we value and care about. Uh, And then also too, not losing sight of the fact that at the end of the day, like software is made by people for people Mm -hmm. and should serve people. And your end goal is to produce value. If the right way to do that is to follow the, you know, 10 rules of easy software development or whatever it is, like go forth and like, you know, Alan Z. But, but in order to do that, you need that common understanding across the whole team to be able to do that or else you're going to like spend a whole lot of time not delivering value, uh, not because you, you're too busy, like sort of like hung up on the, on the like best practice that you care about most. Well, that then how, do you, fulfilled. how do you get there? Right? Like, I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, I think it's like the answer is really easy to say and like really hard to do for a lot of us, which is like, you have to be really open with people. You have to like be willing to talk about stuff. And then you also have to just like let go of a lot of these hard lines that we tend to take. And I think we take hard lines because they're easy to internalize. Like we take hard lines because they're easier to sort of adopt and sort of say like, you know, if we, if all method links are like three lines long, that's like a tangible, like scientific thing that I can measure and be good at. And it's actually a lot harder just to mentor someone, (laughs) you know, when you compare when you weigh mentoring someone versus like calculating line lengths, well, calculating line lengths is like a lot easier. So you have to be open and vulnerable with people. And then you have to like establish sort of more of a culture of peer mentorship, if that's a word. I, I don't think the two things are mutually exclusive. Can you use line length maybe to frame a conversation 
through your mentorship that says, here's when maybe you should break it. And let's talk about when we break these rules and, and maybe why this rule is there. And is it stupid? Should we change it? I think that's a overall. I think that comes back to being willing to have open conversations. And I think that's the hard part is getting, how do you get a team? We talked a little bit about this a little bit before, but like, that's the hardest part. How do you get people to feel comfortable having those conversations. And that takes a lot of trust that needs to be established within the team as a whole. And there's always going to necessarily, especially if you're consulting, there's necessarily going to be lead in time where you have to, you have to establish those things. What's, I don't remember what the, what these things are called, but like, it's like the forming, norming, storming, forming forming cycle, forming, storming, norming, yeah, performing, performing. And like some teams never get to the performing part ever. Well, some and, teams never get out of storming. Especially like, if you have churn of people. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and as a consultant, it's like your job is to, is to try to like facilitate getting to a performing phase like as quickly as possible or even like to help get team to that phase at all or just get out of the phase that they're in. <laughs> like, yeah, sometimes you're starting like, that over on purpose. Well, and sometimes you cause, and sometimes you cause total downstream effects that you never would have intended. Like your team all of a sudden starts doing great but you're in a giant enterprise where you realize that because you've come in like, you know, there's a lot of magic in coming in and charging enough money to where people like just will listen to you. And so if you come in and you're charging enough money where people listen to you and you can help them correct their process and all of a sudden like you're like churning out features and moving really quickly and things are going, things are more robust and uh, the process is going well, you're getting better feedback. All of a sudden, like, you cause all these downstream effects with throughout the enterprise because now you're you're impeding upon everybody else's you know you you might start to become like a bottleneck for everybody else because you're like producing stuff too quickly and you're like causing downstream effects on like the the database group or whatever who you know can't turn up the the migrations you need as quickly or like who knows what right you have all these downstream effects and those are hard and that's why i say like it doesn't matter if you're building yet another you know to do app like the the people problems are the problems, especially in consulting, because you've probably written the same app 20 times. Yes. But it's always different because the people who are involved are different and yes. the problem space is different yes. because of that. I'll be right back. Do, 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 do. This is intense today. This is good stuff. How are those chips? They're good. Now you're I'm making me want to go chew. get food. I'm trying not to chew directly into the microphone. <laughs> Perfect. Did that just for, for you, Juliet. I'm so tired of my foot being the way it is. Oh, I bet. I can actually touch it to the ground a little bit now. Yeah, that's cool. But I still can't get a shoe on. That's pretty fancy. So I interviewed a guy today. For you? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that over the last year, salaries have skyrocketed in our industry. Mm-hmm. And I need to skyrocket my prices. <laughs> So I have this Irish calendar that my sister-in-law got me and it's just got like, it'll have Irish blessings or, or cheers or random bits of knowledge. And so it's talking about marriage arrangements, like arranged marriages traditionally in Ireland were arranged in Irish pubs. And I'm like, isn't that how a lot of marriages are still arranged <laughs> in the pub? Just different people doing the arrangement. <laughs> What? Welcome back. Did you all stop talking? Sorry. Yeah, we stopped talking. Chris oh, started eating and made me hungry, and now I want to leave and go get Sorry, chip. I didn't mean to make you all stop talking. It's okay. I had to step out for a second. You bring light to the conversation, so we didn't want to have it without you. I think 
one of the things I was thinking about in terms of like universal rules is, is, is type systems actually, because all things being equal, there's really no conceivable reason why we shouldn't all use types like a real type system that actually solves a bunch of problems given, uh, you know, with the caveat being that like certain things can't be typed currently. That's like, there's ongoing research into that, but you know, all things being equal, you eliminate a whole class of problems when you use a type language. So why don't we do that? And I think, you know, the fact is, it's like, yeah, like types are really cool, but I'm over here without any types at all. And without dialyzer reliably serving thousands of requests a second, like, it's like the the problem with those sorts of rules is that they're super contextual for the kind of problem that you're solving and, you know, for the team that you're in. And mm-hmm. I don't think you can safely argue like, yeah, but you're, you're reliably serving thousands of requests per second, but just think about how much better it would be with types. Like, I don't think that's a valid argument. And so that's kind of where I think it always comes back to like the economic problems of your team and like the personality problems of your team and the people you're working with and like all those externalities uh, that have nothing to do with software and have everything to do with the people who are Mm -hmm. working on that, who are working on that problem. Well, and it's interesting because I think the people who are maybe responding to the thing that you're, that you're, doing right and saying what it would be even better don't necessarily have all the context right and the nuance of like the situation that you're in and they're like well it would be even better i'm like well do you have the context for what's currently happening and that's the thing most people don't and the only way you get that context is by working there Uh and by working on those problems and so i think that's why a lot of these things don't translate well a lot of these design concepts have to be you know either so vague that they're hard to hard to sort of apply or you know they become like little rules or whatever, because those are the only things that translate across teams. I, I like the vague ones because it forces conversation. And yet you hated philosophy of software design. Yeah, I did. No, I did not hate it. You keep saying I hated it. I didn't hate it. You just said that you hated it. What? I know. Yeah. I just said, yeah, I did. <laughs> no, there's just the, the one analogy in there that just kills me. Well, and four chapters on, on writing comments is a little frustrating. <laughs> I got it. He likes comments. I got it. But to each, I mean, again, right? Like everyone's going to walk away with any of these like guidelining principles with their own perspective on what actually makes sense. And it's the idea that we all have to achieve consensus that becomes problematic or frustrating for people, right? Like, And, and we really only have to achieve that consensus on the team that we're on at that time. It's not that we need a worldwide consensus and everybody has to say, oh, this is dry is perfect and that's exactly what we should do. But your team needs that to frame a conversation. I mean, in part of our job, I always look at it as we organize junk drawers or, you know, the silverware drawer. And if you want to organize the drawer with all of the stuff in alphabetical order, forks come before spoons because they're in alphabetical order. And the other person who puts stuff in that drawer wants them all organized by length. You're not going to end up with the same product and it's going to look like a big mess. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing with software in our team. So we have to come to some sort of agreement on our teams in order to even even get there because we have so much to organize and it becomes unmaintainable if everybody's doing it differently. Yes. And the question is, how do you get there? Right. Um, and that's the most important. I mean, I don't want to say that. That's an important, that's where the important conversation being able to communicate comes into play. It is interesting though, that as we have, we have so many conversations in the software community as a whole about 
quote unquote best practices are about people tend to have really strong feelings about doing things a particular way. And then we end up having these conversations outside of the context that each of us is currently in and not nobody has the other person's context. And yet we're like, no, it would be better if you did this thing or no, it would be better if you did this thing. And I don't understand why you didn't do this thing. Right. And like, it's almost all of it's not, I'm not saying all of it's moot, but like, it's interesting that we all end up having such people end up having such strong opinions, which isn't bad, but also without the context having everyone's context, it's really hard to have a productive conversation. Mm-hmm. So, so how can we have productive conversations about those things? Because I think that they do. Uh, I, I learn a lot in those conversations mm-hmm. and that's how I think that we spread ideas mm-hmm. through those conversations. But how do we, how do we change our language so that we maybe either get more context or at least don't, attack their point of view because we don't have their context. Well, I think that's, that's the more important point, right? Like it's not so much the conversation itself. It's how we're having the conversation, right? Like I think how we go about responding to other people in those conversations, right? It's one thing to be like, Oh, that's really interesting that you all are doing it this way. We're doing it this way because of X, Y, and Z just another point to throw out there versus wait, you're not doing this thing. This thing is like the best way to do, you know what I mean? Like there's different ways of saying a thing that help facilitate productive discussion. And, you know, language matters. How we use words matters. It sounds a little bit trite, but like, I think it does. And it kind of leads the conversation um, in what particular direction. And so I don't know that it's the conversation itself, but the way that we're having them that can be frustrating. So what can we do to, to have conversation better? How, what, what change? Is there any little change? Look, see, now I'm going back to, is there a rule that I can put in place? This is such, like, a, this is such like, a, like, a quit, like an American way to solve the problem. All right. Listen, what sort, of, what's, what sort of three-step program can I put in place through a couple of rapid actions to change a lifelong series of bad habits? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. How do we all then engage? I don't know. I mean, part of it is like... I think a huge part of it, number one, if you're communicating predominantly over text, uh, this is easier to do if you're communicating in voice because so much nuance is lost when you go to text. Like, I don't care what anybody says. I've been doing remote work too long. Like so much nuance is lost and it's so much easier to have a call with people. Just generally speaking. Um, uh, that's a whole different rant about the way people frame remote work, but yeah. People sound <laughs> angry in text often. I think something that's really important is you, you, especially with text, you always have to assume good intent. You have to like remind yourself to assume good intent because it doesn't, it never will come across that way. Or, you know, it can, especially in times when it doesn't come across that way. If you assume good intent, like that helps, that goes a long way. And at the other, you know, the flip side of that, be mindful of the fact that when you're writing something up, it's going to be viewed in probably the worst possible way that it could be viewed. And so really like, ask yourself how, how you're going to come across to people. Number one, like that's like, those are some like real easy sort of rubrics to keep in mind if you're just like typing out something on a GitHub issue or something like that. But along with that, I think, especially if you're, if you have a little bit of experience and you've had some bad experiences trying certain ways of doing things, it's really, really easy to get locked in to a certain way of looking at problems. And it's really easy to not be comfortable trying other ways to do it, or you just pattern match immediately. Like you see a problem, you pattern match it against a problem you saw before, and then you you know use your hard won knowledge to, to solve it that same way or whatever. And sometimes that's just wrong. You know, Sometimes that's not actually the right way to do it. And it's partially because humans are amazing at pattern matching, as you said, and, but we're bad, but we're also 
bad at it. Like we, we find patterns in places that patterns don't exist. It's like how you can see faces everywhere, you know, or whatever. What is that called? Pareidolia? Like this is a phenomenon. Like people are bad. People match patterns too quickly. And so you have to kind of like, especially if you're more senior, like be willing to like check that and say, is this actually like the problem that I solved before? Does this actually have the same characteristics? Is the fundamental thing that I'm trying to do the same? You know, really, it's like, it goes back to Polya's, you know, um, how to solve it. If you've read that book, it's a really, really good read. But he, it's about math, but he talks about through these four larger concepts of like how people in math solve problems. And it's basically four different steps, especially problems that you don't necessarily might not know like the right answer to. It's, it's four steps. And the first one is understanding the problem. You know, inventing a notation to talk about the problem, you know, uh, drawing lots of diagrams, like really deeply understanding what it is you're trying to do before you move into it. And I think if you can catch yourself, and I'm not saying I'm good at this, but I think if you can catch yourself before you go too deep into that, you can be more open to the rest, to everyone else's suggestions and to other ways of thinking about the problem or other ways of framing things. And then part of it too is just like letting go of your hangups, like not getting hung up on, you know, like, oh, I would have moved, you know, these puzzle pieces to these, to, to this different part of the puzzle and made a totally different puzzle out of this. You know, it's like, that's what a lot of people end up getting hung up on is like, I would have arranged the silverware drawer differently. When in our reality, what, it doesn't really it's matter. The drawer still right? holds silverware. It still holds silverware and it's still there, right? It's it hasn't fine. fallen apart. What's way more important is that your team knows where to go find the silverware. Well, and, it, and, and in a lot of ways, that's going to be emergent. Like that's not a thing you can control. There's too much entropy in the world and people are too, too like, I think individuals went out. And like the, the, the properties of your system are going to be emergent properties based on the context that you're in. And you have to just like kind of come to grips with that or at least be cool with it. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it most of the time. It doesn't mean it doesn't stress me out. I mean, when I go to the silverware drawer, I'm going to go back to that analogy because I think it's it's working. But when I go to that silverware drawer, I, I don't want it to take me four minutes to find a fork or to untangle the tines of the forks because when my kids put them away, I know that like sometimes I have to pry two forks apart to even get one out. And it's the same thing in, my, in the software. So I don't care if it's perfect, but let's get it to something that we can handle. Yes, I, but I think Keith Lee's point is more like there are probably thousands of ways to arrange the silverware drawer such that you can access it and everything's organized. And as long as it's everything's organized and it's functioning, let's not get hung up if somebody suggested a way that it's organized where the forks are on the left instead of the forks being on the right of the silverware drawer. And, you know, there are like a million different ways to build software, right? That could potentially be effective. And so let's not get hung up on the things that are preventing us from being productive. Like if somebody came up with a solution and it's not, you don't necessarily agree that you would do it differently, but it works. Let's move forward. I don't want to speak for Keith. I think that's what you were getting at. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> well, and maybe what you realize is that the right way is that you're of a family of four and you always eat together. So the right way to arrange the forks and knives isn't separate things. And it's actually as groups of like place settings. I don't know. Like there's probably a whole bunch of different ways to arrange whatever and it doesn't matter as long as it's like the team understands it and can work within it. And I do, I'm not saying, I'm not sitting here saying that like, you know, you know, uh, like let go and let God, you no. know, don't think about these things. I think a lot about design and I think a lot about how we grow systems. Like, uh, you know, I spend a, a lot of time thinking about those things. I also just think that a big part of that is really nailing down what your goals are. Yes. And really nailing down what your what your team's goals are and making sure your team understands those goals. Well, this is like, and this, this is a dumb example maybe, but like this Hannah and I, the talk that Hannah and I gave at MPEX, we're talking about the concurrency paradigms between Go and Elixir. Part of the talk, we're talking about like concurrency and like 
example's silly, but it's like, similarly, let's just say you are building, the example that we talk about is like, imagine you're building a bed, like you bought a bed from Ikea and you have five people each building the same exact bed, right? They get each get a box and the instructions for that and how you go about building that is very different than if you have five people trying to build one bed and the instructions for that and how you might organize things to make it work, right? Like context for the team is what's important, right? And coming to an understanding of like, does everybody understand the problem and how are you going to go about solving the problem? And also is the problem that we're solving a a real problem or is this a self-imposed thing that we've made for Mm -hmm. ourselves? Are we adopting a thing that's actually benefiting the people who are paying us money? Or are we doing this because like it makes us feel good? And I think that those are real big traps as well. Like we do a lot of stuff that makes us feel good in like an ideological way. Meaning, you know, it's like, it's a thing that we know to be good, but we don't actually really understand why we know it. And it just mm-hmm. makes us feel good. And that's like, that's kind of the, the, the reason for it. And I think that stuff's the real trap because it's like, it's, it speaks a lot to your experiences, which obviously are yours and yours alone because no one else has lived your life. And because in the things that you innately just know, and can't necessarily explain why you know them or why you believe in them. Those are those are where you you end up getting stuck on stuff, because you can't actually argue your way out of it. Like the types thing, it's like most of the people who contend one way or the other, myself included, are speaking from a place where we've probably rationalized it in our own heads and decided the way we feel about it. And at this point, it's not really about convincing anybody else. It's just sort of about saying like, in these situations, these things didn't help me. These things helped me how. And it's like my, my stupid joke about, you know, I'm just sitting over here, like reliably serving thousands of requests a second. It's like, that's a really, that's a really cute way to get out of actually talking about a thing that's really interesting and probably has a large impact on our industry mm-hmm. as a whole. I don't know. Like I, I, I think about those things a lot too. Like what, a, what of this am I bringing? What of my baggage am I bringing to the table here? Uh, and again, I'm not claiming I'm good at this. This is something to try to like think about. I and mean, I think this all just comes back to the fact that like humans, I mean, this is going to sound trite. Like humans are complicated. Communication is hard. The more levels we take, like the more levels of interaction we take away. So like when you can't see somebody and you just hear them or you can't hear them and you're just, you know, writing things on Twitter or whatever, like it's harder to communicate effectively. How do we do that better other than reminding ourselves to A, like Chris said, make sure, like believe that folks have good intent and being able to pause and think about the things that we're saying and what baggage and context we're bringing into those things. Um, but I don't know that I have a good, like, I would like to have a good idea of how to make that better. Because I think to both of your points, it would be interesting to have those constructive conversations because hearing different people's perspectives in a way that is not just people trying to argue over who has the right idea, but actually sharing their context. Like you probably have done really interesting things. You have done really interesting things where you're currently working, right? Like people could learn a lot from that, but I don't know. I don't know how to get there. I think you have to practice. And even though it's harder, I think it's easier to practice in text. Next time before you hit that send on a Twitter message or a forum post or an email or whatever, just take a moment, step back, reread it, make sure that you're doing your best not to to li- to listen to the text that they wrote to you before you go off and, and try to blow them away with how they're wrong. <laughs> um, and make sure that you're not coming across as saying that they're wrong, but that you're just sharing your context and your understanding or you're asking questions. And as much as we talk about like um, today, like everything is nuanced and contextual, like as humans, I feel like there are certain things that most humans and want, right? Like I think people generally would like, you know, would like to be heard, right? And mm-hmm you know, would like to be listened to and would like to be, you know, understood. 
And so we can have more constructive conversations if the conversation is like, I hear where you're coming from. I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong. I'm just sharing my experience as something that has worked as opposed to, wait, why would you do that? No, I mean, I totally agree with that. And, I, and again, like, I don't know that, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm always sort of decrying like best practices is not a real thing. And only part of me kind of thinks that. I, I think it's more just like, Use those things when they make sense. And if they all, if they most of the time make sense to you, then that's great. They're like good tools that you can use to, you know, help build better stuff and provide value. Man, I'm all for that. Do whatever it is that like helps you and your team provide value to your business. That's great. I also think it's worth really considering why it is that we do these things sometimes, if for no other reason than to reaffirm the reasons that we do them and to really like challenge our own preconceived notions about what is good. I, I just really feel really strongly, I guess, uh, especially recently that like, I think we can be building systems out of simpler stuff. I think we can be building simple uh, systems with less overall complexity. We can be building systems that are more reliable with that complexity and allow us to grow and continue providing value over the long haul. You know, and there's a bunch of things that I really feel strongly about, but I'm, I mean, I think part of it's like, I'm trying to reconsider a lot of stuff I've held true for a while to see if they really stand up to scrutiny and like really, you know, really push back on my own notions about how things should or shouldn't work. With the caveat being that like, I'm pretty fortunate and have been for a while that like the majority of people I've worked with over the past, I don't know, something like five years are all really solid. I've never worried about somebody introducing some crazy thing or whatever, you know, like a piece of complexity or, you know, whatever. It's like, Eh, like for the most part, it just like kind of works itself out. And I think that's a reasonable, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm like blessed with some superior programming intelligence. Like I just think I happen to have worked with a lot of like really smart people and it's just kind of happened to work out because of that. So, I mean, you have to do what's right for your team in that regard as well. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. And I think that kind of sums up the conversation we've been having, right? Like it's not like these things are bad. It's just really questioning, taking the time to, I think, I think your point about really understanding the problem rather than quickly pattern matching is really important. And then from there, really thinking about the things that would be useful rather than just looking at your tool and being like, well, I have these things, they should work. Like, are these the right ways to go about doing things? Um, it's a really good point. I don't know. But dry is bad. You shouldn't be using dry. <laughs> that's the real takeaway. That's the takeaway. <laughs> Not better communication, just dry is bad. I, I don't even know how to, I have nothing to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> did you see amos's ping chris can we get a name from the mm, yeah this totally is a honest. great way for communicating is make sure you thank the people that you work with mm-hmm. and and you know i think i don't want to speak for everybody but chris just said it i'm gonna say it the reason i am where i am in my career is because of the mentors mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. people that i've worked with and yep. the discussions that i've had yes. so maybe reach out and thank somebody who mentored you that that's the only awesome. reason i'm i have the career that i have is I had a really good group of friends who knew way more about this crap than I did. And then they just like brought me along. That's what I I feel. Yep, me too. I'll put on top of that is don't be afraid to be wrong. Yeah. Because it's hard to get those people to bring you along whenever you're you're too scared to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I I feel like we we should shout out all these new people. All the new people. Well, this this is for February. Yep. New in February. New in February. Oh, because it's March. It's not. It's not March it's not yet. March should yet. We, should we we first. We're gonna do all of them. Nah, let's yeah. just. No, do all of them. Do all of them. Do all of them. Well, do, do right. the ones I just. This yeah. is. I'm sure we're missing some people now. I mean, the problem is if I'm we sure. do all all these people now, then we got to go back. Right. Let's just go for it. I was just gonna do one per episode. No, 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 no. That's no. right. No, we're not gonna make that many episodes. Yeah. Well. <laughs> well, since JK, I don't work JK. there. Never worked there. 
I'm going to thank Carbon 5. Thank you, Carbon 5, for, for being a sponsor. Is this a, a patron of this show? Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Let's, let's go down the list. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to let somebody Oh, else. you're letting us go. Oh, okay. Yeah. I go, Chris. I'll just rattle the rest of these, these folks okay. off. Um, don't, don't let Anna talk. That's... But no, fine, Anna can do it. She told me to go. Oh, <laughs> no, oh my God. I was going to say to the next one and we could take turns. It's really complicated, okay. you guys. Shout outs to um, Andrea. Thank you for supporting the show. Appreciate it. And to friend Nate of the Vick. show. Yeah, friend of the show. Um, Nate Vick, thank you for supporting the show. Brian, thank you also for supporting the show. Arlo. Arlo, thank you. That's my cousin's name. Good, strong name, Arlo. I love it. So thank you for supporting the show. Appreciate it. Good talk. Well, yeah, thank you. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye. Later, y'all.